your best friend, Sandy, but he's my best brother. I'm thinking of him and not your blessed athletics team. His heart's set on following father in the mission. Do you not think he's got enough on his plate without taking up racing? He's fast, Jenny, really fast. You've seen yourself with a ball in his hands. And I've seen him with a Bible in his hands. And I know which is the most important. You can't deny him the chance. I mean, get him on a track with a little piece of technique. I'm telling you, Jenny. Don't tell me, Sandy. I don't want to hear. Eric's special to me, precious. I don't want his work spoilt with all this running talk. Do you hear? Is there a John McMillan anywhere? Yeah. Well done. You know, ladies and gentlemen, one of the real compensations of achieving a certain notoriety, if only as a rugby player, is that uh, occasionally you're asked to come along and give things away. <laughs> it's often said that giving beats receiving. Let me tell you, the look of delight in those little boys' faces are worth ten of any of the tin pots I've got gathering dust in my Edinburgh sideboard. <laughs> when we were in China, my father here was always waxing lyrical about his wee home in the Glen. But uh, being Oriental-born myself, like my brothers and my sister here, I suffered from a natural incredulity. <laughs> but looking about me now, the heather on the hills, See who is right. It's very special. Thank you for welcoming us home. And uh, thank you for reminding me that I am and will be whilst I breathe. A Scot. <laughs> uh, Mr. Promise, sir, um, before you allow Eric here to go, is it not true that the main event of the meeting is still to be run? It is. A 200-yard open championship. It's the last event of this gathering by tradition. Uh, do you not think, if we can find him some kit, we might persuade Scotland's finest wing to show us his paces? Yeah. Yeah. Can you see, Eric?
I love how it's so Scottish that even the subtitles can't really even keep up and they have to translate on the fly. Good morning and welcome to Hope. I'm glad you're here. My name is Eli. I'm the discipleship minister here in Ankeny. A uh, special good morning to the seventh grade girls who are back on from their retreat. We're glad you're here working with us. Yeah. Some of this is going to sound familiar to them. I kind of worked, went through a couple of these ideas with them on Wednesday night when I was teaching at Power Life this last week. If you were here last week, Pastor Scott was continuing our message series through the book of Hebrews, where we've been the, this month of November, talking about faith and using the Old Testament story of the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. And uh, Elisha was one of God's prophets, and he was staying in the city of Dothan with one of his attendants. And the king of Aram found out that that's where Elisha was. And, and this king, this people group, the Arameans were trying to, to get rid of Elisha, kill him, put him in prison, whatever it was. And so uh, the night they found out that he was there, the Aramean army surrounded Dothan. And when Elisha and his attendant woke up the next morning, they saw the hills completely filled with the Aramean army surrounding the town just to get them. And his attendant was terrified. And Elisha just prayed, God, help him to see what I see. And instantly the man's eyes were open and he could see the hills covered with not just the Arabian army, but this heavenly army, these chariots of fire who were sent by God to protect Elisha, his, his prophet. And, and that as the Arabian army attacked down the mountainside, these chariots of fire, these angels that were sent to protect Elisha, they confused the Arabian army and allowed Elisha and his attendant to escape. And that was Elisha's faith, that he could see things that most people just couldn't see, that he could uh, see the world through a heavenly perspective perspective, an eternal perspective, things that were there by God to, to protect him and watch over him. The clip that we just watched uh, is from a 1981 movie called Chariots of Fire. You get it? We're making connections? We work really hard on these things around here. 1981 movie, it won the Academy Award for Best Picture that year. It won a couple of other Academy Awards, one for that you know, iconic soundtrack that went along with the movie. And it tells the, the true story, the real-life story of Eric Little, who is a Scottish sprinter, runner for the United Kingdom, uh, would eventually run in the Olympics in 1924. And it goes through his life and the life of his teammates. But as you heard him describe in just that little clip, running was a very small part of Eric Little's life. He was born himself in China. His parents were missionaries there, started a church and a missions agency to help impoverished people in a certain part of China. And that's where he was born. And then he and his siblings were sent to the United Kingdom where they would do boarding school and university. And that's where Eric Little would gain notoriety as a, as a rugby player and then a world record holding sprinter, phenomenal athlete. But his perspective on life was that that was just going to be part of it that athletics was a small part, uh, would only occupy some of his time, that eventually even he would go back to the nation of China and that he would spend the rest of his life after his athletic career in service to God in the mission field. Eric Little would eventually uh, spend his life in China. He would die in, a, in an internment camp in China during World War II as a Christian ministry, minister over there. And that was how he viewed his life, that it wasn't just about what was happening in front of him this small window of time. And even while he was an athlete running, he viewed that as just part of his ministry. And he would use uh, athletics and these races that he would run as a, as a world record holder as a platform to share the gospel with other people. Let's take a look. I came to see a race today, to see someone win. 
happen to be me. But I want you to do more than just watch a race. I want you to take part in it. I want to compare faith to running in a race. It's hard. It requires concentration of will, energy of soul. You experience elation when the winner breaks the tape, especially if you've got a bet on it. <laughs> but how long does that last? You go home. Maybe your dinner's burned. Maybe, maybe you haven't got a job. So who am I to say believe, have faith in the face of life's realities? I would like to give you something more permanent, but I can only point the way. I have no formula for winning the race. Everyone runs in her own way, or his own way. Then where does the power come from to see the race to its end? From within. Jesus said, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. If with all your hearts you truly seek me, you shall ever surely find me. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that is how you run the straight race. So thanks for worshiping with us today, Hope. I hope you enjoyed his really good sermon, wasn't it? That was the, the faith that Eric Little had, the perspective on life, that whatever he was doing, whether he was physically running in a race or whether he was living out his life for Jesus, that it was going to be about that ministry and helping other people see the things that he could see about what it's like to live life with an eternal perspective. And I also want to talk about how our faith is compared to running a race. Our Bible reading does that for today in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to put this up on the screen. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read this out loud together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. This past month, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews together and we're wrapping it up today, we've also been using this as an opportunity to get excited about a, a brand new vision we have for our church here at Lutheran Church of Hope, a new vision statement that we feel like is going to help us carry out God's mission for the next 10 years, and we've got 10 goals, too, that accompany that. Now, I get a lot of questions, and I had the question myself not too long ago, what's the difference between a mission statement and a vision statement, and why do we have both at Hope? Uh, and so the, the, taking this illustration of of a race uh, and using it for this, a mission statement, our mission, which hasn't changed in 25 years and we don't expect it to, to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ, our mission statement is like the activity of running the race itself. It's the activity of running. It's, it's what, we view like, what we feel like we're presently doing all of the time. It's the action of the church, that this is just what we are to be doing, running this race. The vision statement, this new vision that we have, that's like our finish line. We see it out there somewhere in the future. It gives us something to look at, something to run toward, a target for all of us so that we're all running in the same direction, even though we know that we're not there yet. So this vision that we have, powered by the Spirit to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded, you can hear embedded in that language a future thought. 
These are things that haven't yet happened, but we know and we, we hope that these are the things that are going to happen through the, through the mission of, of, of Lutheran Church of Hope, that God is going to do these things through our church and through the church worldwide, that these are things that we feel like we're running toward and it gives us something, a direction for all of us to run together. And they haven't happened yet, but we have faith that, that God is going to do these things. And then we have core values as a church. Our core values are still the same. I encourage you to check those out online if you haven't. They're up there. But we also have these 10 goals for the next 10 years, and I view those kind of like the lanes on the track that we're running. So if running is the mission of the church and the vision is the finish line, then having some goals, having a pathway keeps us running in a straight line. Because if we have a mission of running and a destination, we might be wandering all over the place, weaving in and out, not knowing how to actually get to that finish line. But these goals and our core values kind of provide the lanes that we run inside of, keeping us running on a straight line. And one of those goals that I'm particularly excited about in the booklet that we have in front of us, and we'll put it up on the screen, uh, I'm kind of a tangible sort of person. I like to see things physically come to life, you know, something that wasn't there before physically happen. And so this is in the book, I think it's the fifth goal, but they're not ranked in order of importance, it's just where it landed. Um, To construct new church buildings, clean water wells, provide malaria nets in developing countries, and on and on it goes. This is one that I'm particularly excited about because it's it's not only global in perspective, that these are things that we want to do all around the world, but it's also local, local, seeing God do tangible things here in our community to meet the growing needs of of our area, that Ankeny is one of the fastest growing cities in all the United States, and I believe that God is bringing people here to our area to be able to encounter His, His grace and His love through the ministry of these churches. And so I'm excited about what we're going to see happening through Lutheran Church of Hope as we strive to achieve this goal and, and work toward the vision of, of, of the next 10 years of our church. And one of the ways we've been talking about that this month is through our active giving campaign, Building to a Hope Beyond. This is a campaign that we started a year ago where we are hoping to raise funds to be able to expand our space here in Ankeny, about 20,000 additional square feet off to the west of us. And you can go online. There are vision packets out in the lobby, the gathering areas on our website at hopeankeny.org. You can click on the Give tab and that'll uh, explain all about this giving campaign because even though we started this a year ago, and I want to back up a little bit. Last month or about a month ago, we had our vision night. So you saw in the 360, we're having vision nights all over the place at all of Hope's campuses. When we had Pastor Mike here, we updated all of us on kind of what what the progress has been in the last year, that a year ago when we started this campaign, you all brought in, pledged, and gave over three and a half million dollars towards this effort to be able to expand our space. Yeah, that's amazing. It's absolutely amazing what God has done through you. And that still means we have about, about $1.2 million to go because, again, one of these 10 goals is that we would be a debt-free church in 10 years. And so we, we don't want to expand our space by adding more debt to our current load. And so uh, we want to build this debt-free, and that means we need to raise about a million point two more dollars. And we've been asking you this month to prayerfully consider if that's a campaign that you would consider being a part of, contributing to financially. We don't talk about money here at church very often, but we do talk about it regularly because it's a biblical principle. And I want to share with you why my wife and I are contributing to this giving campaign for our church. Because my wife and I, so similar to how a church has its uh, mission, vision, and core values, and we have those things that are helping us run our race as a congregation together, I feel like each one of us, God has put inside of you a vision for your future, a mission for your life. And there are ways to run that race of your life with using core values that we find in Scripture. 
And so my wife and I, as we've grown in our marriage, we started out uh, in our marriage taking a course like Financial Peace University, which is a program that we offer here at Hope. Every time we have small groups and classes, we offer Financial Peace University. We'll be offering it again in January, two different times. And in that program, you get to see that the Bible talks about money a lot. About 2,300 verses in, in the Bible about how to handle your finances. And to put that in context, there are only about 500 verses in the whole Bible about prayer. And similar, there are about 500 verses in the Bible about the topic of faith. But twice of those two combined, the Bible talks about money because I think God knows that, that money has the ability either to uh, be used as a tool, something that, that we apply to our lives to further the vision of our lives and the mission of our lives, or it can be something that derails us, that gets us off track, that controls us instead of us controlling it. And so my wife and I, in taking a program like Financial Peace early in our marriage, learned about the, the joy of, of financially giving away the things that God had already given us. And that's one of the truths that the Bible points to, that everything that we have, God has given us in the first place. And so to give back some of that to the mission of the church, the ministry that we're involved in, we're excited to do. We've developed a genuine excitement about that and seen a lot of return from that investment, spiritual return from it. This is one of those many verses in Scripture that talks about how to deal with finances. Let's read this together out loud from 2 Corinthians. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so as we've been talking about this campaign both last fall and this month, you've never heard us say things that, that, would, that would somehow motivate you by reasons of guilt to contribute to this financially, and we never will. Because again, the truth of what God says in Scripture is that whatever you've decided in your heart, that's between you and God. The pastors and the staff at this church don't know how much or what, where any of the money of our church comes from. It's something that's, that is up to you to decide if that's something for you. And, and as we've been asking you to pray for, is this a campaign that you'd be interested in, in supporting and being on board with? If at this time you don't feel like God is telling you to jump in, then I would encourage you not to. Because again, God doesn't want anybody to give either your time or your talent or your resources reluctantly or as though you feel compelled to other than by God doing it himself. And then you get to experience the joy of what it's like to give away something that God has given you in the first place. And that's what my wife and I have done, and we're excited about that. We're also excited about just the vision behind why we're expanding our space at all, that we're a growing church, and my, my kids are experiencing the, the, the awesome programming that we have here that this space is meant to, to influence, and, and that as we grow as a church, we just keep running out of space. It's an awesome uh, problem to have. I've really enjoyed over the last month, we've had the uh, displays out in the overflow, these different places and spaces over time where Hope Ankeny has worshipped these last 13 years, and just a testament to how God has continued to grow this congregation. I don't confess to be very good or good at all at gardening. That's my wife's area, and I don't, don't touch it. Uh, but I do know from what she has told me that if you have a small plant and you put it in a small pot, as it begins to grow, unless you transplant it to a bigger pot, it's not going to keep growing. It will continue to stay that same size. And, and that's not what we want for our church. As God keeps growing our church, we want to continue to accommodate that growth by providing more and better space for the ministries that are going on here so that we, again, can see that vision realized of more and more people experiencing the love of Jesus Christ and more of our neighbors who are moving this area to, to know about the God who loves them. And that's why we're doing it. 
Now, oftentimes when we talk about subjects like this, like like biblical principles and living your life according to the principles that God has given us in Scripture, people can become skeptical of that. You know, oftentimes the, the principles that are in Scripture are not the same that the world lives by. Things like financial giving, financially contributing to a church, most of the world would not say that that's a good use of your resources, that that belongs to you and you shouldn't have to give it to a church or shouldn't even want to. And there are other types of principles that we live by that the world can seem skeptical about. And that was certainly the case for for Eric Little and his story. So he was set up, he and his team, to run for the 1924 Olympics that were held in Paris that year. He was going to run for the United Kingdom with a team of people. And at the time, his best event was the 100-meter sprint. He was a world record holder, broke 10 seconds all the way back in the 20s. And he, his country was excited. He was going to bring gold home for Great Britain, and it was a, an exciting time for all of them. But as the schedule came out for when the races were going to be run, he learned that the qualifying heat for his best event, the 100 meters, was going to be held on a Sunday. And Eric Little viewed his life and lived his life with an eternal perspective. And he held to biblical principles, one of which is that there's a Sabbath day set apart for God. There's one day a week that's meant just for you and God, for rest, and that's in the Bible. And he was so dedicated to living his life by God's standards, by God's principles, and not by the world's principles, that he told the, athletic commu- the, the Olympic committee that he's not going to run his best event if they're going to hold the race on a Sunday. And even when he was brought into the, the, the room with the entire Olympic committee from Great Britain, which included the future king of England, who were trying to compel him to change his mind, this is what he had to say. Let's watch. Lord Birkenhead has advised us as to your attitude towards your participation in the 100 meters heats. Or would your non-participation be more accurate? It would, sir, yes. We were also consulted as to the correct manner in which to approach the French. Something we just can't allow to happen. Going cap in hand to the frogs of all people? Simply out of the question. Simple matter of national dignity, Little. Being a patriot, I'm sure you understand. Well, I must say, sir, I felt it was an impractical suggestion from the start. As an athlete, you value economy of effort. I wanted to run. I was desperate enough to try anything. Well, all that being understood, we decided to invite you in for a little chat to see if there's any way that we can help resolve the situation. There's only one way to resolve the situation. That's for this man to change his mind and run. Don't state the obvious, Cadogan. We have to explore ways in which we can help this young man to reach that decision. I'm afraid there are no ways, sir. I won't run on the Sabbath, and that's final. I intended to confirm this with Lord Birkenhead tonight, even before you called me up in front of this inquisition of yours. Don't be impertinent, little. The impertinence lies, sir, with those who seek to influence a man to deny his beliefs. On the contrary, little, we're appealing to your beliefs, in your country and your king, your loyalty to them. Yeah, yeah. In my day, it was king first, God after. Yes, and the war to end wars bitterly proved your point. God made countries. God makes kings and the rules by which they govern. And those rules say that the Sabbath is his. And I, for one, intend to keep it that way. When I first saw this movie years ago, uh, I didn't really put it together why they would call a movie about an Olympic sprinter Chariots of Fire. Uh, there's some stories about, you know, a William Blake poem and all kinds of things, but I really think that the, the title of the movie comes from the way that Eric Little viewed his life. 
and the perspective that he had, similar to Elisha, who is able to see the world around him from a heavenly, eternal perspective, see behind just what's, really, uh, what's visible and, and right in front of you to something that's more eternal, more permanent. That was the perspective that Eric Little had, that, that running in one race in the Olympics, as important as that might be, does not stand a chance against the importance of an eternity with Jesus Christ. Because at the end of everything, at the end of all of our lives, whatever we have and whatever we do, that will all come to an end. And the only thing that lasts for all of eternity is your relationship with Jesus. That's all we'll have. And so the way that he viewed his life and the way that I think we're encouraged to view our life through the lens of Scripture is to see things from a more eternal point of view. To see things with an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective. And the pushback might be, but what about grace? Now, where does grace fit into this equation or, or the work that Jesus did? You know, Jesus, when he was alive, said that uh, all of the law and the prophets are, are fulfilled in me. And so, don't we have to, can, we, can we be a little bit less rigid with some of these things? Do we have to abide by, as, as Eric Little put it, these rules or as the Bible puts it, these precepts, these instructions, these, way, these pathways to live our lives? Can we be a little bit more relaxed with them? And setting aside kind of the argument that there are some of the Ten Commandments that we still really hold to be a, a good idea, like not killing people and stealing things and lying, and there are others that we seem to be a little bit more dismissive of or a little bit less intense about, setting that argument aside, the way the Bible talks about how to follow God's instructions is really more like running a race, like a pathway for your life. It doesn't really talk about these rules as restrictive or as something that you ha are burdened by or put into some kind of moralistic box. They're actually something that frees you up to live a better kind of life, a more fulfilling kind of life, in fact. Let's look again at the scripture reading for the day from Hebrews 12.1, right in the middle there. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. That all of these, these instructions in the Bible aren't actually meant to add weight to our lives. They're meant to help us off with all of the weight of living our life full of bad habits and things that, that we would much rather do without anyway. And similar to the other Ten Commandments, just think about your own life. Couldn't you do with a day of rest a week? Just, just practically speaking, wouldn't that help you six days of the week to know that you had a day off where we weren't pressing all of the time? and trying to convince ourselves that we're really more powerful than we actually are. There's a, an old book that was written, uh, again, in the UK, mid-1600s, called Pilgrim's Progress. And John Bunyan writes this book with a similar sort of illustration of the life of faith as a journey, a pathway. And in this allegory, John Bunyan, the author, has a dream, and he envisions uh, his pilgrim. The, the character's name is Christian. It's an old allegory, so all the names of the characters and places are pretty on the nose. But uh, Christian feels the weight uh, of his sinfulness, of his, uh, of his life, of his guilt of, over things that, that he has done and experienced. He, he envisions it like this, this great big pack that he's wearing, and he's constantly burdened by it, can barely move forward in life because of the weight that he feels over his shoulders. And so he sets out on a journey trying to find anywhere and anybody who can relieve him of the weight that he feels living life this way. And he's even convinced by somebody, he, he experiences all these distractions and detours and the things in our internal life as we're pursuing a life of faith and we feel weighed down sometimes and we, we, we fall into pits and swamps and we get sidetracked and all these things are playing out in real time for this pilgrim. He meets somebody who says, why don't you try out the city of morality? Just try living a better life. You know, just, just follow prescriptive laws and, and that'll help you off with your weight. And the closer he gets to the city of morality, the more the weight feels like it's crushing him. 
Because just living a moral life is not something that's going to relieve you of the weight of your, uh, of your sinfulness, of your guilt, of all of these things. It's, it's actually the more, the closer he gets to Jesus that his burden begins to be lifted. From our, our, our scripture reading again today, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's, that's really the vision for our lives. If we're, if we're running after Christ, if, if he is the one we're, we're striving for and aiming toward, then, then all of the distractions of this life will start to seem less important and fall away. And so as he arrives at the cross finally, after all the distractions and detours, this is what he says. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom stood a grave. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosened off of his shoulders and fell off of his back and began to tumble and so continued to do until it came to the mouth of the grave where it fell in and he saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, he hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood still a while to look and wonder for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked therefore and looked again even until the springs that were in his head sent the waters of his tears down his cheeks." And that's what the freedom of living by, by biblical precepts can actually bring to your life. That, that pathway to run along, not feeling burdened by weight anymore and not feeling distracted and, and thrown off course. And one of my favorite scriptures talks about this, even from the Old Testament, Psalm 119.45, I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts. One of the things that we say on staff, it's a, a leadership quote by an author named Brene Brown, is that clarity is a kindness. That the clearer God is with us about how to live our lives, the more kindness we feel. And then the easier it is to walk through this life. And there's a lot of clarity in here for how to live your life that other people might be skeptical of, that might run contrary to the values this world holds dear, but that absolutely free you up to live a more fulfilled life. And that's what Eric Little experienced. Because living a life according to God's precepts does not slow you down. I think it actually enhances your enjoyment of the activities that God has in your life. Those things that you're good at, those talents, your work, your hobbies, your family, all of those things I think get enhanced the closer we live to God's principles. So Eric Little was not running in the 100 meters. He, he, he opted out of that race and there was controversy surrounding that and people were disappointed in his decision, but he still had the 400 meters to run. As a sprinter who ran short distances, he was not particularly good at the 400-meter sprint. It's a lot longer, obviously, and all the way around the track, and he was kind of middle of the pack, not expected to do very well, but he was going to run the race anyway because he wasn't running for anybody else's expectations. He wasn't running to try and get some kind of hardware from it. He was running because in the activity of running, he felt like he was worshiping God because every activity of his life was worshiping God. He had this heavenly perspective, this eternal perspective that everything is valuable to God when you're running according to his principles, that that enjoyment and worship can be enhanced the more you fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's take a look. It says in the old book, he that honors me, I will honor. Good luck. Jackson Shows.
So where does the power come from to see the race to its end from within? God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. stand and pray with me. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that we have inside of us, God, that gives us the power we need to live this life. And I, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who uh, endured the, the pain of the cross, God, so that as we fix our eyes on him and, and, and hold our faith in his work there, God, that we experience the joy of eternal salvation and presence with you. And I pray, God, that for each one of us, as we, as we think about and pray about how you're calling us to live our lives, to run our race, God, that you would give us the direction, the instruction that we need to run well. And thank you, God, that we are surrounded by so many witnesses here in this church, our brothers and sisters who are helping us all stay on track together. Thank you, God, that we get to experience this as a community of faith. And thank you that you keep us growing and moving forward all the time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.